You're listening to Solutions for Earth, a podcast dedicated to healing the world. I'm your host, Broderick, and today's guest is Mar Ricketts. And Mar is the principal and founder of Guildworks, an architecture firm that uses tensile fabrics to design structures. In the past, they've done a lot of festival work, uh, and it looks incredible. Um, but he is the man to design this Lotus Temple building, which is the central focus for Soul Garden. And we dive into the whole design process, what goes into that, what goes into designing the lived environment, and everything in between. I hope you really enjoy this one. I know I did. So, Mar, what's your journey? How'd you become an architect? And what's your what's your greatest inspiration? Um, well, my... My background in architecture, as well as uh, the design and engineering of tension structures, tension fabric structures. Um, architecture was uh, an interest from growing, from being very young, growing up, um, knowing architects, knowing people at, in the architectural field, and then designing and working on my parents' house and building that during high school. And then going off to get a degree in architecture and end up uh, studying uh, morphology, geometry, abstract study of form, what's the possibilities of form and structure, understanding tension structures, how to design, how to engineer them, what's their basis of design, Um, and then starting a company and uh, then figuring out that road. And uh, the company's gone through multiple stages. and. Kind of the the biggest growth of it was through the in the early years was through the event world and uh, doing larger and larger scale events um, as kind of a laboratory of design to figure out design options, design language that broke away from the norm even inside of our very specialist high design industry. So we've pushed boundaries there. And now taking those forms back into a lot of permanent buildings and permanent structures and rewrapping kind of like a long arc of what I was studying uh, a lot during school of kind of sustainable building techniques and how to build lighter weighted and more sustainable on this planet. And this is the reason that I pushed into this field of, of tension structures and lightweight structures as they're the lightest ways we can design and minimal, most minimal materials. So yeah. this is kind of a long arc uh, process for me. I love that. And we're going to get right back to that, but I'm, I just want to like take note of something. So you built and architected your parents' house before you went to college. Uh, yeah, there the it was a collaboration a little bit between my father and I, and yeah. uh, you know we we had an architect design a house when I was uh, I think in uh, kindergarten or something like that, um, yeah. and uh, kindergarten first grade, and he was very interested in working with me and brought blocks and had me like help design my own room and such. And so that love and understanding was there. My mother also worked for the National Trust of Historic Preservation. So I got to look at big drawing set plans and see that all through my grade school. And then we kept living. We never built that house. My parents didn't. But uh, then we lived with plans and designs for of houses kind of pinned to the refrigerator, the walls for like most of my growing up years until kind of high school where kind of like, well, no, here's what we want to do. 
And then I took on figuring out how to draw that up and detail it. And uh, yeah, we went right to a builder and, and got it built. With That's a little awesome. bit of engineering really support awesome. from an engineer designing roof trusses and floor trusses. So. Nice. That's a really great way to start. Okay. So, so yeah. Why tensile fabrics and what makes this material so amazing and what makes it the architecture of the air? Um, well, I'll start with architecture of the air. I mean, it's just, it's, and I'm not really sure that's a perfect term, but we've used it as a branding term. Just yeah. to try to express that it's light um, yeah. and has a lightweight feeling over you. It illuminates, light comes through the material. You don't necessarily yeah. need as much lighting in a space that's lit through a membrane structure. Uh, so you're yeah. saving an energy cost, things like that. So there's a lighter footprint uh, for, for building this way as far as sustainability goes. Um, and just the light feeling of being under it. So, you know, like all of that, the air kind of represent it. Um, it's a little bit of an abstraction, but it's just, it's a branding term. Um, but all these reasons, there's kind of the reasons of sustainability and why it's a, a great, um, choice for how to design, you know, when you really design with a membrane structure or a tension structure in general, there's a certain truth that the geometry, the morphology, and the engineering and the design all have to work together. You can't, you can't fake it. You can't say, oh no, this is the shape because the shape is a result of where the anchorage is and what the tensions are and you know, these yeah. different real forces come into play that make the form. So it's not, it's not the case of, uh, you know, humans designing that form. Um, yeah. It's the case uh, like Gaudi, uh, who it, many people are familiar with the work of Gaudi, the famous uh, Spanish architect, Sagrada de Familiar. And um, he said with that piece, he hung chains from the, from the ceiling and hung chains off chains to represent the, and then basically flipped that whole model to create the arches because that, yeah. that weight and the weight of the chain and the weight of how it hung and curved together as he pinned two chains together represented yeah. the most stable form. So he said, nature's making the form for me. I'm not, I'm not being God designing that form. The God that is yeah. nature, um, he's very re religious and spiritual. The God that is nature is designing that form. And, yeah. um, and the same holds true for anything that's done in this technology sense of lightweight design. It's like we can influence the form as, as designers, as architects and stuff. But the form is a is an absolute based on all those influences and it's given back to us and you know now we have fancy software to calculate it wow so it's kind of like a dual relationship where you're informing it but it's also informing you yes i love that okay so what are some of your favorite projects you've worked on and and why these projects um We worked on a on a rehabilitation project uh, up in Spokane, Washington, 
uh, for the Riverfront Pavilion Park. And uh, it was the U.S. Pavilion for the 1974 World's Fair as a tension structure. It was one of the early large-scale tension, I think at that time, the largest scale tension structure and tension fabric covered uh, structure in the U.S. Uh, being about 300 foot in diameter. Um, yeah. And, uh, going, I think, 100, and 100 or so high, maybe not quite, but um, a huge structure. And, uh, you know, we had a couple of plans uh, from back from 1974, all hand drawn. And uh, we were picked to kind of understand what was there and develop a new shading array, like a partial shading to go on it. Um, that yeah. would be permanent because the old thing was built as an event structure, but it stayed around. It became an icon of the city. It's right in downtown between the rivers, this amazing park setting. And it's really um, kind of a joy to their downtown and an icon. So it was like the... Yeah. rehabilitation of that and bringing that anew. And it was so interesting to just work with a structure from the past and try to reverse engineer it. So it really challenged our engineering concepts and our engineering mind to really figure out what was going on. Because it's easy when you design it from the beginning, you know, and you build it. But to, yeah. to work backwards is a different challenge. And then we're working backwards at the same time we're working forwards. And well, how would we yeah. design something on this structure? So there's kind of this two roads of like understanding something that's been built and seeing the differences. Like we were able to see yeah. the, they thought it was one shape, but in reality it was several feet different. And we could see why the forces were several feet in shape different from what they thought. Yeah. Um, and we could also scan the structure and see that that was true. So um, lots of understanding. So it was just a very in-depth project. And it's, uh, you know, I think a beautiful example of one of our open air arrays. Um, but that's just one type of structure. And what I love about the projects we work on is there's so big a variety. So we don't, yeah. we're not in one area uh, specifically. Yeah, it looks like from the website, you guys do a lot of like festivals. That used to be true, not so much true anymore. Our website is that way, like way outdated. Yeah. Yeah. So when you yeah. see the website uh, development that's happening now that launches late this year, you'll see kind of what is the current state of the last years are. And of course, there's been no events for the last two years. But that's true. <laughs> um, so. It, there's a mix. We're both a permanent fabric architecture company. We're a, an event company now. We're also becoming a sustainable design and visionary thinking in architecture company and how to develop lands and properties and what's you know what goes into that, not just our parts, yeah. but other parts and seeing that whole piece. Because it's a lot of what I've been studying, what uh, the VP here, Sebastian Collett's background is. So we're integrating that piece now as well. I love that. That's amazing. So how do you, and this kind of ties in, you know, I have this other question down here, but your background image with those like those globes in the background and there's like a dome and it's like all yellow and then this green. Like, how do you see the future of architecture in cities and you know, how does the work that you're doing kind of lead to that? I think there's, I mean, there's a variety of influences right now coming into play. Um, 
we have uh, the pandemic and what that's uh, made of our realities. Like people left the offices, they left. Now some are going back, but not all. Um, and you know, and I think there's a belief, and and other architects I'm talking to are carrying this that the future of the office doesn't look like it does now. And for me, that piece you're referring to is really thinking about, well, what's the future? What's the biggest uh, commercial slash, you know, like what's the biggest use of solo like design space? And that's a campus. And you could say a campus might be a very large company, you know, one of your tech giants um, or, you know, another big industry leader or corporation might have a large central campus uh, and universities have large campuses, right? So these are all get kind of master plan designed or even in stages, but, you know, very influenced design. And what do you feel, you know, like, yeah, there's an exterior architecture in campuses that is always important, but there's always been like you end up entering these big buildings and go on miles and miles of hallways, right? To office after office, after breakout room, after breakout room. And is that the way that anybody wants to be in interior space again? I mean, that, I think that feeling the pandemic has shifted. And if we even look pre-pandemic, there were a lot of studies going on that you know, like people are more effective in their daily work life if they are in touch with nature. Like Mm. there's studies where they took office cubicles and built them outside in a park in different cities and had different offices in their uh, employees to it. And the side walls of the office would open up for a certain period every day and come down. And so the people were basically working outside part of the time and lots of natural light coming in um and then kind of had windows to the other offices by them so it was like an inverse study and i found that they were way more productive way happier right um and so this like access to natural air access to natural light all of these increased productivity increased happiness increase you know longevity livelihood all of these things could you know you know has this potential based on that study to increase you know our national output right on how much we can we can do and so it requires a rethinking of building forms kind of the inside out and the outside in like how do we bring the outside into the building how do we bring the inside of the building outside of the building how do we make our hallways our walkways pass outside often they've got to be covered because we got to prepare for different environments but so many of the places if we're covered or partially protected maybe not fully but enough partially we can survive most of the year walking from one space to another. And there's smaller potential spaces for us to go into or for our meetings and our offices and such. Um, yeah. We can see a kind of a different picture of what the future campus, the future office, the future building, you know, might look like just imagining the inside out, the outside in. Yeah, way more integrated. And I mean, that kind of answers this next question, but how do we take 
architecture and harmonize it with the natural world? I mean, you were just speaking to it, but maybe there's more. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's uh, the first is just giving the people, us inside of this building, this architecture, more access to the outside world. There's so many that that's buildings that's not thought about. You know, it's just like, yeah. it's thought about like, oh, what do we have to do to meet code egress requirements, right? It's not talking, mm. it's not looking at like, there's not a code that says we have to give people this much daylight and fresh air for them to be healthy, happy individuals, right? That's probably yeah. as important a code as getting them out in the case of a fire, but it doesn't exist yeah. inside the code world. But inside of the sustainable relation to the natural environment world, we need to look at that. And then we need yeah. to look at how do we use that natural light, you know, coming through layers of the building that are translucent to illuminate. So we don't have to have lights on that are, you know, in the places we work potentially during because the sun will provide that light. So then we don't have that energy wasted. So we're not burning that electrical, you know, wattage. Uh, an amperage during the day and yeah. you know then you know it gets down to systems to clean our waste how much of our you know the you know just the rainwater you collect on site most places it runs off into city sewers and then needs big chemical treatment plants because it's mixing with all the other water and you know it's yeah. all the the black water and the gray water you know like and how much wow. of that can you keep on site? I mean, really, you can keep all the black water on site. And that's been proven by people like John Todd of, you know, when he did New Alchemy Institute and Living Machines and was able to just take plants and animals and, you know, kind of aquatecture and clean all the water, you know, no matter what. And I mean, that can be totally integrated. And, you know, you can grow food out of that water, you know, like. You know, wow. at least food that you give back to the, some of it, you know, in the first stages that you're giving black to nutrients in the soil. And then, you know, then, you know, further down the line, it's, you know, for human. What, what, is, or what, is, what is black water? Uh, black water is like the waste from your toilet. I mean, it's, you know, it's just like it's the worst of the, you know, the water streams as far as safety is concerned, you know, so. But you can still grow food with it. Yeah. I mean, nice. okay. Yeah, I mean, you can you can grow the you can grow plants because plants will harvest and break down all those things. You know, that's what the living machine plants and animals um, and microorganisms will break that all down. Um, yeah, especially you know in you know different anaerobic and other processes. You know, you can also harvest in an anaerobic process. You can harvest uh, methane gas off of it and use that you know like um but you know like if you take it through the the living machine as john todd developed it it's like yeah those plants are are growing up out of it and then you can use those plants and compost them to make soil amendments right and then wow. you know just carry it down the stream and you know in one side is really black water out the other side is fresh clean water it's amazing um and there's not a chemical process involved. Wow, that is pretty awesome. So how do you, and this kind of, I'm going to ask a broader question before I ask this one, but like the technology that you're integrating into buildings, um, what are like some of the more like new ones that you know of that are like 
you know what I mean? Like integrating like technology and nature when you're building like a building or you're planning for a building. Well, I think the, the level of building that is now possible um, and feasible goes beyond, I think, so much of what we're used to, um, what, you know, you're inside of is uh, balloon framing, right? There's a stud every yeah. 16 inches, 24 inches on center. And it's, you know, this is a technology that's, you know, uh, 150 some years old. And, um, but you wouldn't be driving in a car that's 150 years old. You wouldn't be using a phone that's 150 years old. You wouldn't be flying yeah, an airplane. They weren't even around back then, right? Yeah. Neither were the car. We'd be on a horse and buggy. So Yeah, it's like, what are we doing? So all of these other industries, you know, like develop new technologies every few years to every 10, 15, 20 years at most. And it's totally refreshed and totally revised. Yet architecture is kind of stuck in these ways of doing things that's at least, you know, 75 to 100 years old. Um, Yeah. In general. Now, that's not saying it's all across the board, but what we're talking about in the new technologies is lots of ways that there's kind of new new integration of of solar new integration of materials these membranes i mean the whole membrane structure it's is really interesting because it's both uh you know fabric structures are one of the oldest forms of human habitation you know the tent the tp bedouin tents you know all of this like taking a hide and making something to cover multiple hides together to cover you or you know, then into weaving and being able to make other things. But um, so they're one of the oldest, but this development of really pure tension form and where does the forces want to take it is just back 50 years now to Fry Auto uh, really being the father of this industry, along with a couple others back a little farther. Um, There's a few other influences as well, but the modern tension structure, fabric structure field is really pretty new and rapidly developing and changing um, super rapidly, you know, ETF. ETFE structures, which is a clear membrane film that's replacing windows. So take a big glass atrium or something like that in a civic space, and that can be built yeah. now at 10% of the steel weight. Well, that's 10% of the steel we have to mine and manufacture and have be one of the most expensive materials there is that is really, you know, creates a lot of carbon, you know, footprint to to even take it and recycle it takes a lot of, yeah. of carbon footprint. So if we can do it at 10% and have that same kind of, you know, beautiful glass atrium, but it's made of a membrane, I mean, that's an incredible reduction. And then if we can start to incorporate other things in here, there's all sorts of, this isn't available yet, but there's technology being worked on to take these clear films and say, you could operate a slider and be able to say, oh yeah, it's clear now. I I want to dim it or I want to blacken it. You know, and, you know, that could be an electrical resistance sort of pathway through the fabrics or, you know, what will be the future? I don't think in, you know, another 20 years we'll have separated screens on walls, just 
screens will be whatever wall you want to have them on. Like, you know, they might appear in different places as you walk through a building, a screen on the wall, like, oh, you're going to this person's office, take a right, you know, like, yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't know what all those new technologies, but then there's new technologies to even how we build it. And one of the ways we're doing right now is incorporating VR and AR into building because we're talking about such different forms. I mean, the standard architecture is very, you know, it's very boxy. It's very vertical. It was mm. built for an understanding of how to draw this thing in 2D, right? We need to make these yeah. flat plans, building sets, construction document sets, send them for someone to review, send them for someone else to build. But if we're yeah. going to design these places that are designed out of natural principles, which aren't square boxes, nature doesn't like to design in a square box. Well, we're dealing with a, a three-dimensional form that has three-dimensional features and geometries that can't clearly be understood in 2D. Well, we need to build with the 3D model in the 3D environment. So yeah. not just in the computer and seeing the 3D model on our screen, which we've been doing for years, but now we're taking all our installers into you know, VR, AR headsets so they can go out on the field. They're building right now in Spokane with this technology for us and like looking up like, okay, I have I have that part of the structure installed. I've got to do that cable. What cable is that? Well, I can, I can touch the cable inside the model, see the cable number, see the pre tensions associate it, grab the right piece, put it in the right place because I see it all. It's surrounding me in 3D instead of like trying to find it and figure it out, dissect it on the plan set. Yeah, I, th I think I interviewed somebody the, the other day and what they said is, as far as we know, there's no 90 degree angles in nature. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was one other thing you said, oh, the 10%. So when you said that, I thought of the House of Flowers and... Um, San Francisco, it's just a big glass building with a bunch of flowers in it. And I was just thinking about it. And you said there's a tensile fabric that like basically functions like a window. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's, how does that like, can you poke it and like, or is it sturdy like a glass? I mean, that it depends. It has some deformation, but it's sturdy. I mean, you build them. Yeah. Uh, they can be single layer, but single layer doesn't provide insulation. So we do them as multi-layer pillows. So they get inflated as multi-layer yeah. pillows and they can provide the same level of insulation as the best glass, as the top R-value glass. Because um, oh, wow. insulation, one of the best insulators is air in separate pockets. So if we do separate yeah. layers in a pillow, um, but this material is micro-thin. Um you know, it's super durable. It has an incredible UV value. It's not going to wear out, you know, minimum yeah. 50 years, might be 100 years. We really don't know. Um, yeah. And uh, so, you know. It, and it's, it, it basically, it, no water gets through. Right. Nothing gets through. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So how do you embed solar into something like this? Uh, well, there's already, uh, you can laminate solar panels onto fabrics and membranes and then hook them up. So you can have a lightweight structure that's also gaining your power. Oh, wow. So, and, and solar, as we know, is going through another revolution. You know, it's like it's gaining efficiency constantly and it's gaining yeah. lightweight. So the lighter weight those cells get, the more flexible they get, the higher energy gain they have. The more that's yeah. going to be, you know, applicable to all of our membrane roofs and just structures everywhere. And instead of, 
I think one of the big things we need to see on a universal building scale is uh, kind of the way so many things are designed. It's like, oh, our power generations over there, our food productions way over there. Now it's all around the world, right? But yeah. our food productions out there, our water filtration is way over there. Our water source is way over there. And we need to like look to integrate those, you know, like how do you get those onto a single site? You can have all of it on the site. The site can be growing food for inhabitants, gaining a lot of the water from just the rainwater for inhabitants. And cleansing the rainwater through a natural filtration system so it's even clean and you know it can be breaking down its waste it can be gaining its power you know like you take yeah. all of these things and then you don't have the cost of the transportation i mean what you know the average i forget it's something crazy that the average meal in america travels to get to the table it's it's kind of ridiculous yeah. and you think about all that gas and all the trucks and fuel costs and greenhouse gases and uh roads being clogged and yet we're paying you know for all of our food to travel hundreds of miles to our table yeah and all the nutrients that get lost that's right that's Span of time. Yeah. 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 The longer it's outside of the ground and harvested, the more those new less nutrient dense that food is. Yeah. Wow. And so, so really so much of like what I, I see happening and and the the quote unquote the solutions for everything is it all comes back to efficiency mm-hmm. in some ways. Like you're talking about more like the the same, you know, law that governs how fast computer chips are, you know, increasing, which is exponential, maybe like the same one that governs you know, how solar panel technology is increasing, but it seems it's with everything. It's with, you know, farming, it's with, you know, architecture, it's with, it's with everything. And it's just, that's kind of like the evolutionary process is almost comes all down to efficiency. Comes down to efficiency. There's an efficient process, but there's also uh there's a willingness that where architecture gets a little stuck is the willingness and the ease to break out of the convention you know so because there's so many conventions have been laid down it's easy for a technology company to come and say we invent we're inventing the iphone it's never been done before you know like um you know there's no like oh the iphone has to match this code right um yeah so so it's a little harder in the world of architecture and structures where human safety and things like this and and those are good those are good needs to have but yeah. yet you know they have to also have their challenges to them and their developments of them and really this looking towards sustainability and integration of all of these different technologies that are rapidly developing how do we yeah. integrate them, build them in, use them, make the change? And, and it, a lot of communities and, you know, planning departments are looking for this, you know, it's not, yeah. it's not stuck, but it takes, it takes time and takes energy to break us out of that, you know, traditional way of building. Yeah. You know, when I was, I was, you know, uh, meeting with the realtor the other day. And one of the things she said is that Humboldt County, because it's, it's due to grow a lot here, like a lot, there's going to be a lot. I was actually speaking with a couple of people that were saying that it's going to grow like massively because of the Cal Poly and because of climate change and people are, this is like a safe haven, right? There, she was saying that the, <clears throat> you know, Humboldt County due to its like, I would say it, it hasn't grown a lot over the last while. And so the, the building codes are, 
archaic, I think is probably a good word. That's And they're pretty aware of that. And But she's saying that what's going to happen is that Humboldt County is going to take on California's building codes, which are still strict, but more loose. Um, and it's just interesting because it's so, yeah, for that stuff to all come through, like what we're planning here, it's, um, it's very different. It's very, it's very new yeah. and it's very like groundbreaking and pushing the edge. Um, and so it, it's just interesting, the timing of everything. Um, and it's, and to see kind of an understand sort of the context of, of what's going on and how this is coming through, kind of like, like we talked about on that, that last meeting. And so that kind of comes into the next question, but like, how would you design this Lotus building if you were to, to describe it in words? Cause I know it's going to be a drawing. It's going to be a lot of images it's going to be a lot of things, but you know, colors, spacing, size, opening, we talked about the opening mm-hmm. and then the, like the resting state. Um, and then I put water catchment on there as well. Yeah, I mean, those are all ways. I think it's it's the same way I design anything. It's like, look at what are the elements? Like, what is the site? How does the, the sun hit the site? How does the water run through the site? How to view? How do you experience it? Um, yeah. What's the experience when you're approaching? What's meant to be the experience on the inside? I think about the Lotus and I think about that inside, that centered experience a lot. It's like, mm. we've got to have the approach, but then we've got to have that, like the sense of grounding and centeredness and natural geometry that's got to come to the inhabitant while on the inside of this structure is really when you call yeah. for a Lotus, like that's what sticks out to me. Oh, you're calling for that. Like, uh, you know, the sitting on the Lotus petal, right? Like that's yeah. what comes to mind for me. It's like, Oh, you're sitting on the Lotus petal. Like you feel all of those curved petals shooting in and out from the center. Yeah. So that that's that personal experience of the person inside. So, yeah. Yeah. and also when I talk about lightness, it's like, there's a light got to be a lightness feel, right? We don't want to mm. build a hugely heavy roof over your head that you feel compressed by, you know, it's got to be elevating. It's yeah. got to be like shedding light in. Cause you think about pictures, you know, of sitting on the lower drawings and images, you know, of, you know, any, kind of spiritual figure sitting on a lotus petal or whatever, there's always a sense of like light emanating down or light emanating out of that. So we need to have a space that's really light emanating and letting through those natural lights through these, you know, modern materials and new technologies. And it's got a, you know, how the water is caught and runs, yeah, and connects into it. Um, That's essential. I mean, you know, we can, and so much of it we can get from nature. What does the lotus do? Where does it draw and store its water? Maybe we can do a reverse of that. And, you know, like, you just, you know, have to keep asking yourself these questions and look at what are we trying to accomplish in the space? What are we, you know, where are we trying to, and part of the accomplishment here is inspiration. And part of the accomplishment is a gathering place to learn, to experience, to, you know, so all of these things are going to play into what it looks like. And that's what I love about architecture. It's like, I've, I've tried at points in time and gotten, you know, commissions at points in time to be an artist, to design this or that. And it's like, I can do it, but it's not enjoyable because it's a little bit, I mean, some artists do a great job of referencing, but for me, 
it that program of architecture like here's a we've got to solve this is a puzzle it's like we need yeah. to take yours the visionary the developers like dream of what it can become and what you want to do and we need to take everything the space has to offer and all the technology and design tools we have and all the engineering and science and mathematics and we've got to bridge those all together you know and then teach you know how we're going to build this site with you know if labor to put it together in the most efficient way and how do we do that efficiency yeah. you know and so we get the beauty without you know a ridiculous amount of labor cost and you know so there's it's there's it's all you know these different mixes between perfect art perfect science perfect math perfect nature you know it's like it's this balance yeah. point that's that's really amazing um between all of these different pathways and that's what i love about it that's amazing i love everything you just said and i love i specifically want to just point out like the light portion of it and like bringing in the light and then letting out the light and i, I remember olivia last summer she sent me an um a link and it's like a burning man because they didn't have burning man or they did it was like a renegade one but they did an online version and they had a on this like a very very well done digital image of like a lotus temple and it has like lights coming out of all of the the points and i just thought of like <clears throat> it would be really cool and in a way to have like a pillar of light coming out through the center, like in like that you could turn on in the evenings, almost like a lighthouse. Yeah. Um, but for, you know, for visitors coming in late at night or whatever it would be. Um, and, and it's also just symbolic of, yeah, just the light, like the pillar of light um, at the center of this place. Um, and so I just really, yeah, that really resonated with me when you said that. It's, it's right. amazing. Yeah. And if you think about it, shouldn't it just be, you know, the collector. So it's like during the day, it's harvesting that light. And during the evening, then it's, you know, relighting out that light because we don't want yeah. it to be, you know, using, you know, even wind energy from far away or semi nearby to power it. We want it to be self-generating, right? So, yeah, um, you know, of course, using wind energy like we use here at Guildworks, you know, to run our plant when we're just located in the city is a great first step. And it's something that thankfully all of us can do now, mostly in most in a lot of areas of the country sign on to like, just give me renew renewable power. So that's a great oh, first step. But when designing a new you can say, you know, what are we designing for? How important is it that it's really you know, a net zero building and, you know, to design in a sense as close to net zero as you can get, or even positive, you know, greening the building. And when talking about all the gardens and looking at the whole site, you know, what you're yeah. looking at there, it's like, oh, we're talking about a site that's really, you know, carbon sequestering, growing natural resources, growing, you know, things that are needed. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So, Let's see. We talked about that. How is... Okay, I'm going to ask this question again, and maybe they will come up with like a deeper answer here. Um, but how does this type of architecture harmonize with the natural landscape? But more specifically, how is it regenerative? I think regenerative is... is uh, um, It's kind of, you know, regenerative, renewable, 
renewed, all of those, we can look at, at specific phrasings and there's technologies that are grabbing certain things, but I think there's a bigger form of it in that what's the inspiration? You know, it's like, what are we doing? Is it really helping the course of uh, our life here on the planet? Is it making it possible that uh, we won't overheat this planet, you know, and yeah. just succumb to natural disasters? Is it is it being a demonstration of that? And really, is it inspiring other people to go about that change too and where they live and the buildings they're building is um in in doing these things is this piece a demonstration that's going to bring other people to say wow we can do this too we can take this we can we can build like this we can make our place gain its own energy you know we can make our place uh be net zero we can make our place you know illuminate light without turning on the lights and uh, yeah. things like this that uh, really become that, you know, inspiration. Yeah. And that's really the deep soul of it. I love that. I love that you brought that in. And yeah, like it acting as a model to be replicated in other places. And I actually just interviewed someone who's really like deeply connected here locally, uh, like with the colleges and everything. They love the project. His name's Ken Hammock and um, actually just released a podcast with him. And yeah, he's, he's connected with the people who are like planning for the future of this place. And, um, and really they're looking at it as like an ecological tourist destination. And I actually invited us, to a meeting the other day and it's all about people who have the similar ideas, uh, maybe not quite as like um, far along or as like, you know, maybe artsy as this one. Um, but <clears throat> it was really interesting. And so, yeah, like having Humble County serve as a model and template for like the surrounding counties and maybe even beyond. Um, and this project being a, sort of a centerpiece for that. So I really love that you brought that in. Um, and I, yeah, I think we're kind of here at the last question, but would you describe the textile fabrics as biomimetic? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it's in that, uh, we can, uh, biomimicry is, you know, like, are we, it depends how you look at that word. Um, and in some ways we certainly can. And because I think the forms are natural forms, you know, and it's what I call, instead of using that word so much, sometimes I just call it natural design and that there's a natural form and a sense of nature in the form works, a sense of how nature curves through space and, bends angles and doesn't build with 90 degrees, you know, like that sense is, I think, relaxing and inspiring to our spirit. So just, you know, using this kind of uh, feeling, you know, in a space can, can really inspire people can, can cause a a shift in how one feels. And, and sometimes that's the most important thing in an architecture. How does it make you feel? Cause that's how you act and that's how you engage with someone else. And that's the way the community buzzes or not. And, you know, and then there's the side of, well, are we representing a natural, uh, 
and in the biomimicry of like, are we using a natural way that nature works? Well, we can because we can use the fabrics to catch water in a natural in a natural way and flow it off. And you know, we can use it with solar panels on it and collect the light, and the leaves can you know collect the sunlight for their use. Well, we could collect the sunlight as energy. So, um, so there's a lot of ways we can do that. It's like, is is it happening all the time on all those different levels? Maybe not, but the materialization has this potential to play inside of that. And a word I sometimes use more is biophilic. Mm, um, yeah. So because, uh, you know, and uh, because that sort of is like, it's really an inspiration. That biophilic design is really about the inspiration and we can play biomimicry into it, you know, but it's, it's really capturing that inspiration we're getting from nature and trying to draw that in and illuminate the spirit and illuminate how we build with that inspiration. Yeah. I love that you keep bringing it back to the word inspiration. Cause it's, that's yeah, this project is going to inspire a lot of people. That's the idea. So, yeah. So, okay. All right, Mara, thank you so much for this conversation of and course. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to the master plan retreat and the whole, the whole journey. Of course. So. It's the journey that's enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Much love. Have a great right. day. You too. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening. And remember, Solutions for Earth is the best podcast in the world for the world. And you can find it anywhere podcasts are found and at soulearthcoaching.com forward slash podcast. Sending you all so much love.